If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter, chapter 3. If you have a Bible or a device, a tablet, or a good memory, uh, turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter, 1 Peter chapter, chapter 3. We've been talking about here in the book of 1 Peter the whole idea of suffering. In fact, that is the backdrop for the entire book of 1 Peter. It is the essence of the book. It's about suffering. And I have to say specifically, it's about uh, not just general suffering. It's about a specific kind of suffering. Persecution is what Peter is talking about. In context, these are these exiles, these believers that have been scattered about the five provinces of the Roman Empire. Uh, Jerusalem had uh, uh, become a lightning rod for persecution and all these believers in the cradle of uh, Christianity where it all started drew the attention of the Roman Empire and so they got scattered there. And so Peter picks up his pen because he's concerned about how they're faring and how they're going to face all of this suffering and pain that they're going through. And he writes them to, to give them hope and to give them perspective. Entitled the series, uh, Navigating Life's Challenges. And that all of us can identify with suffering and pain. These folks are going through a very, very difficult and a very, very hard time. And the truth of the matter is all of us suffer. All of us do. Um, you know, I feel almost embarrassed when we talk about suffering here or persecution in the United States. You know, it's kind of even hard for me to say those words when you've been to other parts of the world and you realize, you know, that our little inconvenience is really not, not, not persecution at all. Uh, now, some of us are, but... Um, and then there's another issue here that I just want to put out on the table, and I don't mean to bash us at all, but I think we need to speak to the reality of this. As we've been going through this book, one of the things I've, I've underscored several times is that there is a certain cons consumerism here in the United States. There's a consumer mindset that even, even filters how we approach our Christianity. You know, if the truth be told, if the truth be told, we have much more of an entitlement mindset or an entitled mindset concerning all things gospel and all things Christian. In other words, we don't feel like we deserve to suffer, that we, you know, come on now, wait a minute, I, that's, you know, if I'm walking with God and I'm obeying his word and I'm, I'm living for him and I'm doing all the right stuff, then right stuff, good stuff should happen to me. What's with this talk about suffering and pain and hassles and pressures and problems? What's with all of this stuff? I don't deserve that. Why me? And I just need to be straight up with you. It is particularly that kind of mindset. When you compare the brand of Christianity here in our country with that around the world, we look so terribly superficial. Because we have conditioned ourselves to think that Jesus makes me better and better and better and better. Better being defined as, you know, more peaceful, more pleasant, more comfortable. But that's not so. And the Bible collides with that thinking. And the truth of the matter is that we all suffer in varying degrees. We've either come out of some suffering or we're going into some suffering or we're in it right now. So how do we handle all of this? You know, there's this guy that was um, in the hospital, and uh, uh, this nurse came by and 
read his chart and preparing it for the doctor to come and make his rounds and looked at the chart and she didn't have the best bedside manner in the world, said to the guy, said to the, the patient, she said, boy, I, I suppose you're preparing for the worst, aren't you? Well, he turned and said to her, he said, no, actually, I'm preparing for the best. You see, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Now, and that's what it is in the Christian life. All things ultimately they do work together for good. The text doesn't say that all things feel good. It says that all things ultimately work together for good. And before we get any further in the text here, actually there's going to be two passages that I'm going to turn your attention to here in 1 Peter. Before we get, get further down the road, I want to raise a fundamental question, a foundational question. Why, why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? I mean, why is there suffering? Why is there pain? I mean, that's an age-old question. And I want to suggest to you uh, that there are at least four basic reasons why we suffer. One is a fundamental foundational reason why we suffer, and that is, number one, we, we live in a fallen world. I think we underestimate the breadth and impact and contamination of sin. When man fell, sin entered society, it entered the world. And all of pain and all of suffering really ultimately is a manifestation of the sinfulness of mankind. Even sickness and disease ultimately is a, is a product of sin. The hellacious things that people do, uh, uh, shooting folks from hotel windows and, and all of this stuff, all of that is a product of the darkness of sin. That's inside of all of our hearts. The coming after folks, the mean treatment, the manifestation of all these things. Uh, the, 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 the hassles and breakdown in relationships, the conflict and all of that is rooted in sin. So often we suffer because of sin. I think a second reason why we suffer is because of the consequences of wrongdoing. Now I have to say that this is not necessarily uh, uh, technically biblical suffering, uh, sometimes some of us are going through a painful, hard time because God didn't send that. It's the consequences of our choices. We made bad decisions. We made bad choices. We did certain things. We slept around and got a disease, or we got somebody pregnant, or we did this, or we did that, or this thing happened, and there are consequences of our sin. And I just need to say this here. I don't know what it is about us. There is, there is this craziness in our minds that we think, some of us think that we could go ahead and do all of the most awful things or do things that we know is wrong, and somehow or another, God's going to wink and nod. The Bible teaches that whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And there's no such thing as crop failure with God. So here's the point. You say this to our kids, and I, I say this to myself. When you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. You choose to sin, you choose to suffer. When you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. You choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Always. When you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. So some of our suffering has to do with the consequences of bad choices. And I think number three, um, we suffer because it's God's discipline. 
Let me explain. I don't know. Sometimes it's not necessarily that we've done something wrong, but sometimes God just wants to take certain things that are not wholesome away from me. He wants to bring us in line. Uh, and you'll see later on, I, this is particularly true. He also does this in churches and groups of, that represent him. And so we suffer because it's a part of God disciplining us and getting us to the place where he wants us to be. And then I think fourthly, which is where we are today, we suffer because of outside forces, persecution for our faith. For our faith. And this is what we have to come to grips with, fellowship. We've got to come to grips with the reality. And I said this at the very beginning when we launched this series that, listen, listen, suffering is core to the Christian life. Suffering is core to the gospel. There is no gospel living apart from suffering. I'll say that one more time. There is no gospel living apart from suffering. Suffering is core to who we are as followers of Christ. And so, as you read texts like this, and you read through the Bible, there's never any discussion about, you know, if you're a believer, you shouldn't suffer. It's a given the peoples of God, they are going to suffer. Now, uh, today, I'm going to take us to two texts of Scripture here. Uh, one is found in chapter 3, and the other one's over in chapter 4. They're separated, but I felt that, that they, they, they belong together because one, one, one section talks about our approach to suffering, and the other one talks about our attitude towards suffering. And they go together, the approach and the attitude. Actually, the attitude, the attitude really helps to buttress us in terms of our approach. So first of all, what is our approach to suffering? Well, that's what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8 and going through the end of the chapter, verse 22. If I would summarize what he's saying in this section, I would make this one simple sentence. Our approach to suffering is to take the high road. To take the high road. As we look at suffering and we look at this as our, as our heritage, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to take the high road when it comes to suffering. First of all, we take the high road in terms of your response, in terms of our response. Verse, verse 8 says, finally, all of you have uh, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Let me just comment on that. I don't want to spend too much on this, but what, what, what Peter is saying basically in this context is that you know, you all need each other. And when you're going through a desperate and hard time, you can't be turning on one another. Remember, remember, you're all, you all are exiles. You're in foreign territory. The persecution's coming after you. You can't shoot your own wounded. You don't have the time to be secondary and, 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 and to be petty in your relationships. If ever there needed to be some unity among you that you need to turn to one another for, for help and for encouragement, it is right now. My goodness, I could really go off on this because sometimes among churches we are so petty and secondary and you got hurting people all around us and we're making secondary issues, primary passions, and we're bent out of shape and there are people who need us to come alongside of them, to lay aside our preferences and to love on them and to help them to get through. And that's what Peter's saying here. Hey, Amen. <laughs> You don't have time for this. Then he says here in verse 9, 
He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So you, you, your demeanor, your response to what's going wrong is to bless, to give a blessing. Peter is, is giving encouragement to, uh, to, to know how to respond in the midst of all of this pain. The word bless here, the word bless here comes from uh, a word uh, that it, actually the transliteration is eulogy. Eulageo, to eulogize. And the word literally means to speak well of someone. Now check this out. He says, these people are reviling you. They're coming after you. They're making false accusations concerning you. They're going to do some very bad things to you. But what I want you to do is I want you to bless them. I want you to bless them. I don't want you to respond in kind. I want your attitude to be one of blessing them. I don't want you to empower their nonsense by going back and forth with them. Now, certainly throughout the scriptures, there are other passages in which there is redress and there's a way of going about things and, and what have you. But uh, what Peter's talking about is the purity of heart and motivation. You see, basically, we can choose to live on one of three levels when folks come after us, okay? One is we can return evil for good. Now, I don't know about you, but I've met some evil, ornery people in the world. My mama called them contrary folks. I mean, no matter what, they just, they're evil. I don't know if you've ever met any of those, but I've met a few in my life that no matter what, they, they, every day is a bad day for these people. And uh, they, just, they, they just can't say anything good about anybody. They're negative. They're complainers. Uh, they're hurt people. They're bitter in their hearts and this kind of thing. And no, you say something good to them, they're going to say something bad to you. Or you can live on the other level. Well, I think this is where most of us, quite frankly, are tempted to live. We return good for good and evil for evil. Hey, you nice to me, I'm going to be nice to you. You mess over me, I'm going to give you mess back so you don't mess over me again. You say something nice about me, I'm going to say something nice about you. You show me up in public, hey, you're going to hear about it. So you can live that way if you want to, but that's not the gospel way. That's not the gospel way. The gospel way is, is to respond the way Jesus would respond. Oh, yeah, he spoke the truth. But he didn't engage in hostility. The third way is a supernatural way, the gospel way. Return good for evil. This is a grace way. And that's what Peter is saying. Look, I want you to respond the grace way. They're reviling you. But your, your approach is to take the high road. You take the high road in terms of your response. And verses 10 through 12, by the way, is really uh, Peter's referring to and quoting Psalm 34, verses 10 through 12. And as he walks through this and he says, this is what a blessing looks like. This is what it means to bless people, to say good about somebody. He says here in verse 10, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from, from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. First of all, watch what you say. Words can get you into trouble. 
He says again here in verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Uh, don't retaliate is what he's saying. Resist the urge to fight back. Don't retaliate. Don't escalate it. Then he says the second part of verse 11, let him seek peace and pursue it. Pursue peace by returning a blessing. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to fight you. You take the high road in terms of your response. Secondly, you take the high road in terms of your witness. I actually believe that this is the core. This is the core of Peter's argument. The core of Peter's argument, and if you trace this throughout the book, it's all about, it's all about not how I'm feeling or how comfortable I am or what people are doing to me. The core of what Peter's concerned with is that Jesus Christ and the testimony of the gospel and the power of Christ is demonstrated through every issue, every area of my life, every circumstance, yes, every bit of suffering, that my witness for the Savior is crystal clear that Jesus is seen. That Jesus is seen. It is not so much what is happening to me as is this an opportunity for the glory of God and for the person of Jesus Christ to be demonstrated even though it's in the midst of my pain? And that's the point that he's making here in verses 13 through 17. Look at verses 13 and 14. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Now, first of all, he's, he's, he's pointing out the, 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 the reality here that no real harm is going to befall you. You say to yourself, come on now, Crawford, you've you got to be insane. Peter must have lost his mind. What do you mean, no real harm? Some of these people were killed by Nero. I mean, you, you, real harm? No, ultimately, no real harm is going to befall you. You see, there's a lot worse things can happen to you than dying. There's a lot worse things that can happen to all of us than going through physical pain. So when he, when he says no harm is going to happen to you, he's talking about ultimately. What, what are they going to do to you? What are they going to do to you? He's echoing, I really believe, what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, when he's going through the same thing. He's in jail. Paul wasn't naive. He wasn't living in a state of denial. They're going to chop his head off, which they did. And yet he says in Philippians 1, 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Ultimately, they can't harm me. I'm going to live for him if I'm in pain down here. And if they take my life, I'll be in his presence. He gave further exposition of that, didn't he? In the last paragraph of Romans chapter 8, he says, Who and what's going to separate us from the love of God? What are you going to do to separate me from that? What are you going to do to me to take my eternal reward from me? You can't harm me. You can hurt me, yeah. You can torture me, yeah. But you can't harm me. And so his argument is, is since that is the case, 
Since that is the case, he says in verse 15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Sometimes we live verses a little bit out of context. And so we quote this verse, and I've quoted it myself, as a, as a verse for witnessing and for apologetics and the defense of the gospel. And it is that. But the verse takes on a richer meaning when you drop it in its broader context here. What, what he is talking about here is that let the pain, let the suffering, let the persecution drive you to clarity in terms of your witness. That you speak what is ultimately most important. That in your pain and in your suffering, they see the beauty of the Lordship of Christ. They see who's most important to you. They see his sustaining power. They see his grace in your life. And then when they ask you, how in the world can you do that? You give them the reason for the hope that is in you. And you don't do it in a confrontational way. But you do it with gentleness, sweetness. Sometimes our greatest opportunities to declare the hope of the gospel is when we're going through painful, awful situations. The suffering that takes place in our hearts and life. Always be ready. So we take the high road in your witness, certainly. We take the high road in your focus. Peter always comes back in this letter to Jesus. He always comes back to Jesus. He always comes back to Jesus at the, as the ultimate motivator, as the ultimate motivation, as the ultimate example. And it's amazing. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole paragraph, but I do want to just focus on verse 18. It says, for Christ also suffered. Remember? That's what he's saying. Remember? Remember? Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He did this. So what, what Peter is doing, he's reaching back and he's pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus as the motivator. He did this. He did this over, uh, uh, don't you remember, over here in chapter, chapter 2, Actually, when he talked about servants, servants being submissive to your masters, have you lost your mind? He said, and then, and then submitting to government authorities, you know who the emperor was? It was Nero. He says, the only way you can do this is by looking at Jesus. How Jesus submitted. How he pressed into the Father and, and got what he needed. You know, Jesus' sinless life provoked hostility from sinful, evil people. And that's what happens to all of us. You know, here's the deal. You know, when you live a righteous life, you become a mirror to those out there who should be following Jesus. And one of two things typically happens. Either they're drawn to the Savior that you represent, or because they don't want to repent, you remind them of what they should be doing, and they get a little hostile towards you. 
And so this is what Peter's basically saying. Just as Jesus' sinless life provoked hostility from sinful people, the same's going to happen to you. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon famously said that sheep is safer in the midst of wolves than a Christian among ungodly men. And it happens. So Peter says, press into Jesus. And I want to encourage you today. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what suffering you may be facing. But our source of hope and our source of strength is our focus on, on the Lord Jesus. So how do we deal with suffering when it comes our way? There's, you know, it's going to come our way. He says, first of all, first of all, you, your approach has got to be that of the high road. If not, it's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. Secondly, he says, now here's your attitude, which is foundational. What should our attitude be about suffering? He said, what, what, what frame of mind should I have when I'm called to go into a season of pain, a season of suffering, maybe a season of persecution? What, what's going on in my head? What should my attitude be? And turn over to uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through, through the end of uh, the chapter, verses 12 through 19. Because Peter walks into the attitude. One is the approach, but well, now here's the attitude. How I should think, what I should do, what should my attitude, attitude be? And I would summarize this by saying, this section by saying that our attitude should be, now hear me on this, hear me on this, embrace your suffering. Embrace your suffering. Now, let, me, let me just say this to us. We should never like suffering, Okay. We should never ask for it. <laughs> Suffering hurts. It is painful. However, we should embrace the suffering when it's our turn to suffer. When I say embrace it, I mean accept it. Accept it, but don't give up in it. By embracing the suffering, we're saying that this is my lot. This is where I am right now. What's the alternative? So many of us spend so much time when bad things happen to us and the agony visits us and all of that. I know we have to go through this little stretch here, but we spend too much time asking, why is this happening to me? How come this is going on in my life? What did I do to deserve this? How come other people are getting by with this? This shouldn't be happening to me. This doesn't happen to my friend over there. The same thing. And, I, and we get in this whole cycle here and we fight the reality of where we are. Deliverance never comes when we're living in a state of denial. You have to accept where you are in order to be delivered from where you are. And the reality is here that, that Peter is saying, look, 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 this is where you are. This is where you are. Y'all, all of us wish that that didn't happen to you. All of us wish that that didn't happen to me. All of us wish we didn't get that doctor's report. All of us wish that that child wasn't a prodigal. All of us wish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can wish all you want, but the fact of the matter, it is. So at this point, the very first thing that Peter is saying is that you, you need to embrace where you are. You're suffering. 
And then he delineates these four attitudes. And number one is this, you need to expect it. Expect suffering. That's what verse 12 is all about. He says, beloved, do not be surprised that the firing trial, when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. You know, it's strange, you strange. Come on now, we've been through this. We've been through this. You've identified with Jesus. And just as Jesus suffered, you're going to suffer. This is not strange. It's not strange. You're living. You're going to go through hard times. Bad things, very bad things are going to happen to all of us. Every last one of us. Tragic things will happen to us. Not strange. I also think in this he's sort of uh, giving them a warning of a coming more intense persecution. Nero. Nero's going to turn up the heat. If you were here some weeks back, I talked about Mr. Nero. He wasn't a good man. He's a very bad man. Remember I said that Nero took Christians? He had this diabolical evil thing that he did. He would take these white shirt gown kind of things and dip them in wax and dip them and coat them and coat them and coat them in wax and then put them on these Christians and tie them to post in his garden and light them up. The man killed his own mother. Wasn't a good man. I can tell you some other sordid things that's just a little bit too purian and profane about Mr. Nero. And yet, he's saying that it's coming. It's coming. I, I have to tell you, um, I am not a negative person, but I happen to believe that it's coming to these United States. I really believe it. I believe persecution is, is rumbling, and it's not, it's, it's not about who's in office now. I think the train has left the station. It's already on many of our college campuses across the country. The heat is being turned up on these Christian organizations. They changed their charters to become more inclusive, and we know what inclusive sometimes means. I think they're going to come after uh, a number of these nonprofit organizations. I think we're going to see we're going to see 501c3 statuses being taken away. I actually foresee some time where some of our churches in our tax exempt status might be taken away from us because of quote hate speech. I think I think things are happening in our culture today. I, I think that that you know. Uh, the, 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 the ground is being set. We have seen it here in the Atlanta area. Um, I'll go there, you know. A couple of years ago, one of uh, the employees of the city uh, wrote a book. It was, he's a believer, wrote a book, a wonderful book. It had nothing to do with his job and nothing like that. Just a great book uh, about his Christian faith and his testimony and his views on certain things, and he wrote just one little section in the book that uh, 
caused some problems with some people. And I read that section of the book, and I was going, what's the problem? It was even-handed. It was kind. It was not judgmental and whatever. But it happened to agree with the political correctness of our time, and he lost his job. So, you know, I'm, I could go on and on about these things. So what, the only, my only reason for going there with this is that we need to wake up and not think that somehow or another this is not coming down our avenue. Quite frankly, it might be good for us. Persecution is not, not some, something that is alien to the Christian life. That's the point. In fact, the peoples of God throughout the very beginning of history it's a part of God's refinement. It's a part of what we are. It's a part of letting to see the, uh, the authority and power and beauty and the integrity of the gospel to shine forth through people who press into Jesus despite hard, hard times. So we expect it. Secondly, our attitude is that we rejoice in it. We not only expect it, we, we take joy in it. Verse 13. Unbelievable. But we rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rest upon you. This is the reason why we rejoice. No, we don't. We're not rejoicing because we're hurting. That's not the point. It's not, you know, we're not rejoicing in the pain. We're, we're rejoicing in the privilege. We're rejoicing in who our great God is. We rejoice because it is through suffering that we identify with Christ. That's why we rejoice. For to you it's been given on behalf of Christ. I've quoted this a number of times, verse 29 of Philippians 1. To you it has been given on behalf of Christ to not only believe in his name, but have the privilege of suffering for his sake. And in case he was misunderstood, Paul repeats himself when he gives his testimony in Philippians chapter 2. And he says, whatsoever things were gained to me, those I've counted lost for Christ. And he says, I suffer the loss of all things that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And if it means pain for me to be found in him, I don't like the pain, but I love my Savior. To be found in him. To be found in him. So Peter is saying that, listen, listen, rejoice, rejoice. And anything we suffer for the sake of Christ is a privilege and not a penalty. Anything we get a chance to suffer for his sake is a privilege. And notice the line, he says, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. I want to make two observations there. I think Peter's implying these two things. Number one, when we suffer righteously, and we suffer because we've not done anything wrong, but we're being persecuted righteously. He is saying when he says the, 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 the spirit of glory rests upon us, the manifest presence of God comes upon us. God is drawn to his people who are going through hard times for righteousness' sake. In his glory, his presence is there. But also the word spirit there is a capital S. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. He's also talking about the enabling power of the Spirit of God to see us through. 
You see, Christ is with us in the, fur in the furnace of our suffering. One of the greatest illustrations of this is in the Old Testament, isn't it? Daniel chapter 3. We say the three Hebrew boys. I think we need to stop that. These guys are probably 45 years old in Daniel chapter 3. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the story? They refused to bow and compromise their faith and worship the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Nebuchadnezzar gets ticked off, right? Heats a furnace seven times hotter than it's supposed to be heated. He binds them up. Binds them up and throws them into the fiery furnace. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, as we see in those early chapters, was not always the sharpest pencil in the box, but he could count. And so when he looked back into the furnace, he says to the folks around, oh. Now, how many did we throw in there? Three. Three. He says, but behold, I see four. And the fourth is as the appearance of the Son of God. And I love the New American Standard Bible translation there. It says, and, and, and they were, now notice, they were thrown in there bound, right? Three of them thrown in there bound. And, but, but the text says, it, it says that, and, and, and they were loosed and walking about. Loosed and walking about. I don't want to change the text here. But I, I got to tell you, that is an amazing word picture. You see, wherever Jesus is, there is freedom loosed. And wherever Jesus is, there's fellowship walking about. You see, your suffering and pressure and persecution does not restrict your joy. It does not restrict what God can do in and through your life. It does not put down what can take place in your heart and mind. You can have joy. You can have glory. You can have fellowship with our great God. And all hell is breaking loose around you because his glory is resting on you. Some of us need to hear that today. And the reason why you're not experiencing that glory and you're not experiencing his presence is not because Jesus is not there. Because you won't acknowledge his presence. You've so deified the pain and so empowered the suffering. And you've so blinded yourself with why is this happening to me that you can't see the brightness of his glory. But the third attitude. Rejoice in it, number two. But number three... Be innocent concerning it. It says this is Peter says, oh, this is not a carte blanche thing here. Verse 15 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Come on, man. Some of this is criminal activity. Don't, don't do that. You know, you didn't mind your business, your gossip meddler. You stuck your nose where it didn't belong. Now, it got cut off. Jesus said, that have nothing to do with that. Don't, don't go there. Don't go there. You know, uh, the old line, don't start nothing, won't be nothing. <laughs> and some of us just need to. A little word along those lines. 
Some of our suffering, as I said earlier, is consequences of sin. It's not the Lord's sin. It. You, you made some bad choices. Now your family's paying for it. The Lord didn't send that. He can use that. But he didn't send that. He said, no, 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 don't, 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 don't suffer that way. Um, no matter what the trials, Christians should do nothing that would justify punishing them because of being criminal activity or poor choices. That's what he's saying. But then fourthly, he says, the fourth attitude is, don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of your suffering. You know, I see that as a pastor. Some of us, um, some of us are so used to being in control of our lives and uh, controlling our image and uh, even controlling our health. That when something wrong happens, God, let me be vulnerable with you. Um, about a year and a half ago, I, I, I didn't take much medication at all. And uh, went to the doctor and found out I had to take some medications. You know that messed with me? I, that really messed with me. You know, I, look, I'm getting old, so something's going to happen to me. I knew that. But when it did, I'm going, oh, oh, and I was moping around a little bit. And uh, I'm married to Karen, and so she said to me, uh, honey, get over it. <laughs> I got healed. So, but some of us, you know, we're like that. Our pride gets in this thing. Stuff happens to us, and things go wrong in our lives, and we, we just kind of like want to keep presenting the image up there as if we don't have hard times, and our kids are fourth members of the Trinity, and, and nothing ever happens to them, and, and, you know, we're in control here. Would you stop it? Please, stop it. We all hurt. Sin happens. It happens to you. It happens to me. There's pain and there's tears. There's stuff that we all go through. And Peter says, don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of it. This is exactly what he says in verse 16. He said, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? A couple of things here. Number one, he says, look, 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 you're a Christian. And by the way, the term Christian is only used three times in the New Testament, three times in the entire Bible, that is, once here, and then twice over in Acts 11, 26, and 20, chapter 26, verse 28. And it was originally used, in those, it was originally used as a pejorative, as a, as, you know, the, not a Christian, you know, as a little put down right here. Well, well, Peter is flipping the script here. He says, no, 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 it's not a put down at all. Yes, you do identify with Jesus, and you suffer as a Christian. Don't be ashamed of that moniker. Don't be ashamed of that. You, 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 you embrace, you embrace, you embrace that. 
There's no shame in suffering as a Christian. But then he also points to verse 17, though. And he says, look, 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 sometimes God allows persecution as a disciplinary judgment to purify the lives of those in the family of God. And his point is, is this, look, the persecution is making you guys shine brighter. Shine brighter. Shine brighter. I'm going to land the plane here in a second, but I, I just want to say this to all of us here. I hope persecution is not coming wide, uh, uh, broad scale to us. But I don't know what it's going to take to start reversing some of the trends that are negative among evangelical, among Christians of our, our, our brand of Christianity. I'll just tell you the truth. The statistics are not good about us. Did you know that the morality of those of us who claim to be followers of Christ is not appreciably different than those who are not, statistically. Did you know that? It's a fact. The divorce rate, Mike reminds you of that, I listened to his messages and remind you of that last week, the divorce rate basically mirrors. Maybe, maybe a good bit of pressure and a good bit of persecution will cause us to start being serious about our responsibility to be lights and models to the culture. That's what Peter said back then. You know, judgment first has to begin at the house of God. I think it's just food for thought. Peter says in verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The word entrust. He ends the discussion with saying entrust, entrust. This is not a single action, but a con it's, a, it's a constant attitude. It's as if he say, no, 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 no. All you have is right now. You can't live tomorrow now. Don't, those problems are tomorrow but entrust yourself right now. And I want to say that to you if you're struggling right now, if you're going through a hard time, you're in the midst of suffering, you know, hold, hold back, back up. Don't, don't think about tomorrow. Just think about right now. This moment in trust. This moment in trust. This moment in trust. Just give yourself over to him. When we suffer in the will of God, we can commit ourselves to the care of God. And let me make these four suggestions to us. When it comes our time to suffer, and, uh, particularly persecution, but even in a broader sense, when it comes our time to suffer, the very first thing I think we need to ask ourselves or, or, or look at is that our own hearts. We need to examine our hearts. Examine our hearts. Examine my hearts. Lord, did I contribute to this in any way? What's on the inside of my heart? Where am I? Examine your heart. The second thing I would suggest is that don't suffer alone. Share your burden. See, this is the reason why Peter began by saying, hey, look, you guys need to be unified. You need to come together. Don't be, don't be pit, petty and picky. 
they're, they're shooting at y'all out here, man. You can't shoot at one another in here. You need each other. And I want to say a word to those of us who, who are introspective, that it's part of our personality. Can I encourage you? You've got to be very careful because if that's part of your personality, and believe it or not, I've got a little leadings in that on the personal side of things. When hard things come, our natural tendency is to scurry back a little bit and to take our own counsel and to close in a little bit and try to work it out. That can be the worst thing for us because when you extract yourself from people, what it almost always ends up happening is you get distorted perspective. We need to run toward the body of Christ. We need to run toward one another. We need to bear our hearts to one another. And then we need to, those of us who are in, in a position where we can help, we need to be open and not judgmental and love these people. <laughs> love them. Love them. We have a Stephen ministry here. And that's why we exist. Mark Rutledge is sitting over here. He's giving... Giving leadership to our Stephen ministry. We don't want anybody here struggling and suffering in silence. We, we want people to walk with you. Thirdly, I would say, when it comes our time to struggle and suffer, give yourself to the word of God in prayer. Give yourself to the word of God in prayer. Force yourself into the word. You don't feel like it. That's okay. Force feeding is good right now. Give yourself to the scriptures. Get the word of God in you. It is particularly important. You've heard me quote D. Martin Lloyd-Jones before, but I want to say it again. Especially when you're going through hard times and you're struggling, you're suffering, and you can't figure out things, you've got to force yourself not to listen to yourself, but to speak to yourself. Because if you listen to yourself, you're going to go nuts you're going to start concluding things that are not right. You're going to start, your head's going to be in the wrong place. This book has got to lift our minds and expand our perspective. And truth has got to fill us during this time. And then we need to seek him in prayer, calling on him for our strength. And then finally, I would encourage us, number four, record your thoughts and feelings and lessons. It is so important. That when you're going through struggles or you're going through pain in your life or persecution, whatever it is, it is more important to sit down and write. Writing does something to you. It is therapeutic, number one. You write down how you feel. You write down what you're thinking. You begin writing down what God is teaching you. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you, when you get on the other side of that, when you get on the other side of that, that'll be a treasure for you. Number one, when you go back into it, because we're going to go back into some mess, you'll, you'll, have, you'll have a record of what God did, and you'll see the footprints of the supernatural that carried you through and it'll give you hope. Number two, it'll cause you to be able to minister to other people and to help them. You can point back to what God did in your life. You can give them an objective record. Well, let's stand together. you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I would say this to you, everybody, everybody that's breathing will go through pain and suffering in life. Everybody. I said earlier on that, look, 
Every person born eventually is going to go through major catastrophic disappointments and difficulties in life. I wish it was otherwise, but that's the truth. But the question I would raise to you is this. How are you going to get through? How are you going to get through? We were born for a relationship with Jesus. We were born not to live life alone. We are born to experience his love and forgiveness and his grace and his presence and his sustaining power. And if you don't know him as Savior and Lord, all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from my sin and I trust you as my Savior and Lord. Come into my life and he'll do that for you. There'll be Stephen ministers up here in this service and uh, elders who are here and um, staff members. And if you're hurting today in any way, any burden that you have on your heart and life, anything that you're going through, uh, you may want to share that, but you don't even have to share that. You can just come and we would love to just put our arms around you and pray for you. Let you know that we're with you. And, uh, but don't, don't walk out of here carrying that load. Don't walk out here thinking those crazy thoughts that nobody cares about me. We're here. Let us love you. Let us pray with you. Father, thank you for your goodness and thank you for your presence. Pray that, God, you will continue to sustain us and help us. Um, I don't like preaching these passages because of the reality that's lodged in them. And yet at the same time, we have a glorious conquering king a Savior who knows the way to the wilderness, one who is full of everything that we need and then some. So we rest in you, Father, and I pray that you will strengthen us and help us. May we walk with you and may we revel in your greatness. In Jesus' name, amen.